We are here to abet creation and to witness to it, to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. Friends and members, welcome to the podcast service of the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau. It is Sunday, January 10th. I'm delighted that you have joined us this morning or whenever you're joining us later, perhaps. Take a moment and bring your heart and mind into a spirit of worship. You're joined by a choir of saints in their living rooms or kitchens, sitting in their pajamas, or maybe out on a run. If you've worshiped with us many times, you're welcome to join in our unison chalice lighting, or you can follow along in the order of service. The words go, we light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. You can join in singing our opening hymn this morning, Golden Breaks the Dawn. young, I took a train ride once a week. I've never actually been on a moving train, but in the remodeled, added on to old farmhouse that I grew up in, there was a long hallway that connected the old part of the house with the new part of the house. From the bedrooms in the old section of the house, the hallway emerged into a dining area. And once a week, My mom asked us kids to push all of the dining room chairs into the hallway so she could sweep and mop the dining area. There were seven of us, so it was a lot of chairs. 
and that long row of single-file chairs in the hallway became a train. Some weeks, I'd take a quiet solo ride and imagine what I would see out the window. Some weeks, my little brother joined me, and we'd talk about what we could see out the window, or bad guys might board the train, and we'd have to jump from car train, from train car to train car, climbing over the back of one chair to the next to escape. Other days, we overturned the coffee table in the living room and turned it into a boat, where we had peaceful, lazy river trips, and sometimes had to use that boat to stay safe from the hot lava that surrounded us. We regularly turned our basement into a library or classroom. And one summer, when I was a little older, we spent every spare minute we had on a chasing game we invented called Catch That Moose. It was inspired by a news story of a moose escaping the nearby Boise Zoo. And it involved high-speed chases on four-wheelers over the many acres of our farm. It was entirely unsafe and the type of game that, while acceptable in the 80s, would never be allowed by parents today. I've been thinking a lot about imagination because it's this month's religious education theme. Those games I played as a child are examples of ways that I used my imagination to have fun and to create excitement and adventure. If I'm honest, these days, one of the biggest ways I use my imagination is thinking about things that could go wrong in any given situation. While that's a useful tool for survival, it's not very fun. That reminds me of the what-if monster. I've talked about the what-if monster before, so maybe some of you know about the what-if monster, and I'm willing to bet that most of us have a what-if monster that lives in our minds. The what-if monster comes from the imagination of Michelle Nelson Schmidt. And in the book, Jonathan James and the What-If Monster, she explains, some what-if monsters like to hang out and fill up our heads with worry and doubt. They are sneaky and quiet and quick as a blink. The words that they whisper can change how we think. Jonathan James heard those words full of dread, and all of those what-ifs got stuck in his head. One day, Jonathan James has had enough of his what-if monster and says, Now wait just a minute. I have something to say after hearing what-ifs all through the day. I hear all your worries. I hear all your claims. But what if you're wrong? asked Jonathan James. What if I climb to the top of that tree and I never slip or skin up my knee? And what if baseball is nothing but fun and I end up hitting a triple home run? And what if I run in a really big race and I have a great time no matter what place? And what if I sleep and have the best dream that monsters are sweeter than they all seem? And what if the chance I take in the end is just how I find my very best friend? Jonathan James reminds me 
that if what-if monsters get to go around all day asking what if it's awful and everything goes wrong, hijacking our imagination to picture those things, then it's only fair that we get to ask, what if it's awesome and everything goes right? and take back our imagination to picture wonderful and fun and beautiful things. I hope you have a lovely week with many opportunities to use your imagination to have fun and to feel happy and joyful. Just remember to ask yourself, what if it's awesome? Now we'll sing our children's song. If you would, please join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. Wherever you are, take a moment to center yourself as you do. And let us journey into silence together with these words. Holy One, Holy Spirit, Holy All, our gratitude overflows like a river in flood bringing with it reminders of pain and grief. We remember the people who live in fear and pain, whose sufferings drown out hope and joy, whose lives are awash with misery. We beg healing for those who are broken in body or mind, for peace to pour out on those who are at war, comfort for those who cry out in distress. We who have much and we who have little, we who are hungry and we who are fed, we who pray for others and we who pray for ourselves. Let us meditate for a time in silence together now. Amen.
If you listen closely in this morning's reading, you'll see where the title for my sermon, An Inner Unveiling, came from. The reading this morning comes from Barbara A. Holmes's book, Race in the Cosmos. The author writes, When we are fully alert in spirit, mind, and body, we are more than we imagine and can accomplish more than we suppose. Moments of awareness occur as a dawning of meaning when the familiar suddenly becomes infused with new insights or unfamiliar ideas merge with the wellspring of experiences and beliefs that pervade human consciousness. Such occasions feel like personal discoveries. When in the midst of an epiphany, folks inevitably apply the term discovery to lands, people, and ideas that have always been present. We use the language of strange and alien sightings when the more accurate statement would be, Eureka, I have just awakened to a long-standing reality that an inner unveiling has finally allowed me to see. An awakening is necessary to reconnect us to our origins and to one another. Therein ends our reading. me an idiot. The prayer begins. An idiot for thy kingdom. Keep me focused on the weeds I need to pull, the garden I am charged with tending. Let the lunatics run and shout as they will, but keep me at work on my humble daily exemplary task. 
As the pandemic's grip lessens and in a new year, living in a changed and changing world, discovering my exemplary task is very high on my to-do list. Thy kingdom, not my kingdom, is what grabs my attention. Christianity did itself a disservice when it abandoned this focus and replaced it with individualism. But it's not just Christianity that did this, of course. On that fun playground of Unitarian Universalism, we don't have to look any farther than the Sage of Concord and lapsed Unitarian minister Ralph Emerson, who gave us permission to care single-mindedly about the individual, about ourselves. Self-reliance, among Emerson's many essays, capture his and many people's belief that the center of the universe is me. I think that on some level, all of us are at least a little skeptical of rugged individualism, especially when it comes to religion. The Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says that junk religion is easily recognizable because it's often fearful of the future. Individualism in religion is junk because the assumption is that my life, my choices, my fears and wants are what matters most. But this kind of self-worship doesn't work in religion. It doesn't work anywhere. Just look to Washington, D.C. if you need evidence of this. Evidence of it is about to move out of the White House. Evidence of it is that she's a senator, he's a congressman, and the like. But if you're the type of person who likes to try things for yourself, and let's say you're married or you have kids or a job or friends, which should cover just about everyone, I think, here's an experiment for you if you're doubting what I started with. So next week, what I want you to do is just totally disregard what your kids, what your boss, what your friends, what your spouse says, and instead just barrel along doing what you want, impose your emotions on everything, be inconsiderate, and so on, and then go ahead and shoot me a text and let me know how that goes for you. Individualism is junk religion. That's point number one. The Christian martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed by the Nazis, he wrote in a book that he um, authored about how the church works. And deep in the middle of that book, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. He says that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If you don't like the word Christ, that's fine. What Bonhoeffer meant is still useful here in the sense that by Christ he means true love, that horizon that tugs at our hearts and bends our paths forward into a better, more generous living. It's the understanding that religious people have answered a sacred call to live beyond our selfish wants, to live beyond our petty squabbles and into a religious life that sees the universe as something awful which is to say something worthy of all, because the world, life itself, is a miracle. But we don't do this, at least we don't do it easily. Most days are spent trying to control all the little things and all the medium-sized things, and when they don't go the way we want, we complain about it. 
We try to get people to behave like we want, and everyone does this. It's human, too. But when you take a minute to reflect, most anyone will admit that the world doesn't behave like we want most of the time. Pandemic, anyone? And we saw this fact last week on TV when well-educated, wealthy American politicians gathered to certify the presidential election when homegrown terrorists interrupted it. Five people have died. Dozens more injured. Millions worth of public property have been damaged or destroyed. And the most powerful people in the world had to hide under their desks or lock themselves in closets like they were elementary kids in a tornado drill. The world doesn't behave like we want. The poet and physician Lewis Thomas wrote, and I quote, In no other century of our brief existence have human beings learned so deeply and so painfully the extent and depth of our ignorance. Can I get an amen? Junk religion plagues on us when we fail to recognize just how little we really know, when we resist the fact that a heck of a lot is beyond anyone's control. But you see, ignorance is addicting. It's addicting because it gives us permission to deny mystery and awe and beauty, and we settle instead for outrage and hysteria because feeling like you're smarter than everyone, like the world is dumb and you are smart, is a very satisfying feeling. But that feeling never lasts. You can run from your problems, but they always find you. But outrage or pretending like all is right with the world is addictive. And so we seek it in drugs and booze and sex, riots, or buying crap we don't need. Or worse, we prey on people by making their life difficult, by trying to control them. All these things are absorbing, but they're temporary. And the damage they can do can be permanent. Treating people like this, treating yourself like this, can kill a person in body, mind, and soul. Junk religion, junk relationships, junk selfishness, none of this can satisfy the head and the heart. It is with God with whom we have to do, Eugene Peterson wrote in a journal of his. What he's getting at is the same thing Bonhoeffer was getting at, and it's this idea. It's called life with Life with and for others. Life with and for love. Life with and for humanity. He hath showed me, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's the prophet Micah reminding people who've lost their way to selfishness and deceit to turn around to change, to be just and merciful and humble. The temptation, as we've seen and as we've undoubtedly done, is to reduce life to size, to our size, to rob it of its grandeur, to assume that nothing in the world is miraculous. There's this old story about a religious scholar who was invited to a university to give a lecture on the topic of miracles. 
Now, it was one of those lectures that you've probably been to in which the person talks and talks and talks, and so you sit there nodding your head every once in a while to keep yourself mostly awake because in all actuality, you have no idea what he's talking about. But in this case, a brave attendee at the end had the courage to ask what everyone else was thinking. And so this brave attendee, he stood up and he said, Hey, teacher, why don't you just give us an example of a miracle? The old teacher said three words. It is life. But the old teacher went on, and so he asked the audience these questions. He said, Have you wept at anything during the past year? Has your heart beat faster at the sight of young beauty? Have you thought seriously about the fact that one day you are going to die? Do you really listen when people are speaking instead of just waiting for your turn to speak? Is there anybody you know in whose place, if one of you had to suffer great pain, you would volunteer yourself? And if your answer to most or all of these questions are no, you are probably dead. And with that said, the old teacher walked off the stage. Life is a gift. Genesis begins with God creating the universe like an artist. God stops at the end of every day and turns and looks and says it's good, it's very good. This image has been stuck in my mind this past week as I was listening on the radio to an interview with the Nobel Prize winning physicist Frank Vilcek. Now, I don't think Mr. Vilcek believes in God in a traditional sense. In fact, he calls himself in this interview what he calls a complementarian, which is someone who thinks you have to ask what is and what isn't to know anything truly. Over the course of that interview, he said something that I found very interesting. What he said was this, If there is a God like the one we find in Genesis, the God who creates the earth by speaking it into existence, then that God in the physicist's mind, that God is an artist above all, and that the world God created embodies beautiful ideas. He went on to say, and I quote, that if you regard the world as a work of art, it helps you understand things. And secondly, that it's a pretty good work of art, one with tremendous beauty and creative power. Now, he stole this idea from religious studies. I know he did because it's right there in Genesis. It's been there for centuries. But it's this creative marvel, this creation of which we are and of which we are part, that we celebrate on the edge of this new year. A reminder that time is always being reborn, and that what all of us are waiting for when you take away the false religion and the temporary satisfactions, what we're waiting for is who we truly are, the coming of grace and truth. But how do we grow this awareness? How do we see and be in the world like this? In short, we pray. We meditate in words or silently. We contemplate. We become new monastics so we can experience the world not as a place to control and contort, but as a piece of wild art. 
The Trappist monk Thomas Merton believed that meditation and contemplative prayer act as an unveiling because it shows us exactly what's going on underneath the polished surfaces of our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And the ritual of contemplation helps us, in the words of the modern-day mystic Brian McLaren, to see that like wood, reality has a grain. Like a river, it has a current. Like a story, it has characters and settings and conflict and resolution. Creation reveals wisdom through its patterns. It reveals wisdom about its source and purpose and about our quest to be alive if we are paying attention. Prayer doesn't have to be formal or dogmatic. You can pray like the late congressman, John Lewis, who thought the best prayer was when you moved your feet. The truth is, everything can be a prayer. Consider this. Every day, people like us who live in suburban and urban places walk past dozens of people who, for us, are strangers. If we're not totally ignoring them, we're often making judgments based on their clothes and bumper stickers or the way they smell, or the church they walked out of. But what if instead of reducing people down to our size, we considered them an answer to someone else's prayers? That they're alive in spite of plane rides and car rides and pandemics and childhood illnesses. They made it through adolescence and all the psychotic menaces that lurk in our midst, and yet there they are buying bread or helping someone out of the car. What if we took a beat to acknowledge that this person was formed in their mother's womb and everything they've experienced, love and marriage, the death of a child perhaps, broken promises, great hurdles, sleepless nights, laughter, trials, and triumphs is what's there with them too because it is. It's 2021, a new year after a hell of a year. Are you prepared to admire? Am I prepared to respect? Am I ready to show reverence? When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to selfishness, die to pettiness, so that we can be reborn to an awareness of life's enchantment, a world that possibility, at least according to physics, might just have been created by an artist who filled the world with beautiful ideas. My New Year's prayer is this. Lord, make me an idiot. Let me learn finally that I'm not the center of the universe. Let me focus on the garden I'm supposed to tend, the garden of goodness and justice. Let me marvel at creation. Let me be quiet for once and let others shout so I can be humble and tend to the life and the people right in front of me. And let it start now. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is Just As Long As I Have Breath.
The mission and ministries of this congregation are made possible by the generous support of our friends and our members. I kindly invite all of you to give as you are able to help us keep the lights on, so to speak, to continue being that bright, shining light of liberal religion up here in north-central Wisconsin. I thank you in advance for your generosity. And now our doxology. Before I close this service with a blessing, I want to point everyone's attention to the fact that at the end of the postlude, there is a very important, top-secret, vital message from the Stewardship Committee that if you miss, your life will permanently be worse. So stay tuned until the very end to hear that very important, top-secret message from the Stewardship Committee. And now let us close this service with the benediction. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that cast out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away.
Good morning, fellow congregants. This is Carl Drake, and I'm speaking to you from Grant Street in the sanctuary. And I'm also wearing my stewardship hat. Only Donica can prove that. I want to wish you all a happy new year and ask that you dig deeply into your pockets once again. I think we are glad that 2020 has come to an end and we look forward to returning to some semblance of normalcy this year. We have hopes of meeting friends and family without fear of COVID, attending concerts and football games, theater, even hugging and kissing friends and family the same way we did for so many years. And my dog looks forward to going to the dog park without a mask. And we may even return to in-person church services where we can sing, shake hands, and hug one another. Despite the obstacles created by COVID, our church has remained the spiritual hub of our lives this whole time. Reverend Brian, Julie, Margaret, and Donica have continued to nurture our spirits in so many different ways, and we definitely want this to continue. So I ask you once again to remember you are the stewards of this church, our spiritual home and sanctuary. Please send in your pledge forms so we can enable our church to continue its meaningful role in our lives. I look forward to the day I can look you in the eyes and see your lips move without wearing a mask and say thank you for enabling our church to continue as a strong voice of liberal religion in our community. Thanks for listening, and please make that pledge right away.